Welcome to the Boy Park Art Podcast with Una McIntyre and Sarah Linus. Boy Park Art is our virtual place named after the vanished public art sculpture park situated beside the Belfast School of Art where we used to meet and chat. We invite you to our new park to share in conversations about art and artists in Northern Ireland and beyond. So we're here today uh, for episode number 12, so Zara and myself, and we've got Robert Martin as well. So do you want to introduce Robert a bit further? Uh, well, I know Robert from starting at the tech across the road from Marsvius Gallery, coming in to visit, and then they were looking for volunteers, and I came in to volunteer, and that was back in about 2013, 2012, it was. And Robert has basically been in the background for the whole way through my college art career. career, my art career, yeah. He's just, he's a very generous and helpful chap. And one of the things that he has organised and curated for the past few years has been a yearly exhibition that has uh, different themes every year. But the, um, the main sort of umbrella title, as it were, was Materials, Messages and Meanings. Robert, do you want to give Una a quick sort of run through of your credentials, so to speak, and <laughs> what, what, what you've done? Um, my CV kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, like sort of. Short version. Went to art school, um, trained in ceramics and glass, uh, became a glassmaker, uh, had a glass studio for eight years, ten years, I can't remember now. Um, and then started teaching in art school. Uh, had two sessions of teaching in art school uh, in Carlisle, uh, Cumbria. And uh, then I got a job um, as an education officer in the museum, an art gallery in Preston. I was also teaching in a maximum security prison. I ran a foundation course in that. Maximum Security Prison in, in Lancashire. Then I got a job uh, at the Arts Council in uh, the southeast of England. And, uh, I was there for 13 years. Started there with the uh, education brief. Then I had the cultural. I had the cultural diversity brief and the disability brief as well. Then I shifted over. Well, I had the architecture brief as well at one time. Then I shifted over to concentrate on, on the craft sector, well, visual arts and, and craft. So, yeah, so I've got quite a wealth of experience. <laughs> really do. There's a few things I picked up on that you mentioned that I would love to hear more about that we could probably do entire episodes. And mul- multiple. Yeah. We'll come back to Robert. Yeah. I have said that sometimes <laughs> I feel that this is like my second home, but that's because the atmosphere amongst the our people is just really good, nice sort of family thing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of artists really look forward to coming to work here. <laughs> it's nice of you to say that, yeah. 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 People do talk about you behind your backs then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's a good place. Yeah, yeah well, it, um, I kind of, I, I used to, uh, I used to deal a lot with when you work for the Arts Council, well, with the job that I had at the Arts Council was, as I say, the, the visual arts and crafts in the end. And you'd have a portfolio of organisations that you look after, uh, like galleries and, and, and so on. And there was one gallery in particular in Farnham, where I lived, called the New Ashgate Gallery. And they always had a, it was in an old building. And when I first when I first visited that gallery, yeah, it was it was it was just about to close because it was uh, it was uh, selling sort of bronze nude figures and, and sort of that type of sculptural work that, was, that nobody was buying basically. This woman took it over the management of the gallery and completely turned it around and started to sell a, a broad range of craft crafts. Uh, and stuff like that, and she was from a, she was from a Coca-Cola selling background, so she knew about selling stuff, and that's mm-hmm. what it's all about for me. Making stuff is easy. Ish, selling it is, is the big hard part, you know. And um, anyways, uh, she completely turned this gallery around to uh, and formed it into a charity. 
And so when I came here to Lisbon, that was the kind of idea that I had for this gallery, that it was quite open and, uh, um, and welcoming. Um, so, yeah, so I copied the new Ashgate Gallery. It's different to this, it's just a selling place, with an exhibition. But what they had was an exhibition section, a retail section, and an artist in residence se section. So that's kind of the, the big idea for here. We'd start with the exhibition space, then we'd go into a retail space, and then out the back there have artists in residence. That was, that's the big idea. But we need a million pounds to do, to do the rest of the building up, so that, that's it. So I'm from a making background, and as you see, I talk with my hands, and that's and that's that's why I had that reputation in in the arts council that I talk with my hands, and and the materials meaning the messages comes out of that because touching stuff, making stuff, is tacit knowledge, you know. So that's where the materials, messages, and meaning came out. People who touch stuff, make stuff. And it has a meaning and a message in it. So that's and that's one of the things as well. So you know that both Una and I are doing the MFA yeah, in yeah. Belfast, and Una has come via BA photography with video, right? Yeah, into the fine art, and I came through fine art. And one of the things that I can't talk. If my hands are tight behind my back as well because mm. I find you know I've got certain signs for I'm talking about painting sculpture photography there's all this waving about going on and <laughs> it's almost as if my hands aren't doing the action my brain can't find the word to describe what I'm talking about well uh, the sort of definition of tacit knowledge is something that can't be explained you know pretty much what goes on in our heads most of the time, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just thinking there, maybe, because um, I'm quite quiet and don't particularly like talking that much, maybe it's because I don't use my hands enough. Maybe I should start getting them in there as well. Them out. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you're saying about materials and messages and meanings and stuff too. Some of the things I'm drawn to in my work and materials, I'm drawn to them because I know that there's something there, but I can't quite articulate it. So it's it's really good to hear you talking about that's it's starting to make a bit more sense already. Oh, yeah. For me. Yeah. I think nearly everybody we've had a chat with has had an input into what we're doing. Right. In our studios as well, which has been really lovely. It's not just bringing somebody in, you know, to, just to chat to them for the podcast. There's definitely a reciprocity. Yeah. And that wasn't intended at the start, I don't think. No. It's interesting how it's came about organically. Well Robert, yes. you're you're saying about the retail the, web, the new website has kind of started mm. a retail space yeah, in the yeah, gallery, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. which is good. I was reading Ceramics Millennium, which is a book of essays related to a big ceramics symposium that happened a few years back. And one of the bits that I read last night was mentioning about Renaissance painters saw themselves as businessmen. They weren't just painters. Right. And it seems very different to now where a lot of artists would be less business focused and more making focused and you know, they need that extra help in order to try and sell well, their stuff. The trouble with artists is that they don't art is a business, it's a it's a big business and you have to have that idea, like I said before, but making works is easy, selling work is is the is the, is the hard part. And how you market yourself, what you market yourself, how you market yourself is is the way to do it, really. You know, and that's the thing that a lot find very difficult, especially if you're somebody who works with a wide range of materials. You know, you can maybe sell yourself as a photographer or a painter, but whenever you start diversifying with lots of different materials you I think you worry about pigeonholing yourself you know how, how do you get that across without seeming like this jack of all trades and master of none I'm not as, asking you to answer that but Please just do. think thinking out loud but if you do know the answer <laughs> <laughs> sometimes well kind of that term has been used on me you know that or I've used it on myself you know that you know because I I've I've changed I've not 
consciously uh, I've changed the materials that I've worked with quite often really and it's just that this fascination of, of handling stuff and, and manipulating it you know it's like you know Kosinobu Takamitsu my mate in Japan and he's consciously changed his material he, he worked with every 10 years or so and, and some of the other craftspeople that he, he knows in Japan always used to say to him you know, why, why don't you, why don't you concentrate on one material and you be, you'll become a, a kind of national treasure, as they call some some makers out, out in Japan, because they concentrate on that one material. But Mitsu, you know, like myself, you, you needed to change the material. You got bored with it, right? I mean, well, not exactly bored, but but it, it lost, you know, lost you lose some interest, or you got interested in another material, you know, sort of. So it would, go, it would go like that, really. And so Mitsu worked his way through paper, metal, uh, glass, uh, silver, pewter. You know, you look at his practice and what the, the exhibition he did here for us was in, it was in paper. You know, it's just uh, stunning. Yeah, it was a stunning exhibition, right? Yeah. So uh, I mean, it kind of runs through not just materials, messages, and meaning, but most of the exhibitions I have on are people, you know, who have a specific material that they they work with, and that's what I tend to show people who make stuff. Whenever I get a visitor coming into the gallery, and it's a first-time visitor, my superpower is getting people to come into the gallery when they didn't expect to if they stare in the window too long. Yes. So, they would come in, I'd have a chat with them about the work, but everybody that comes in, I say to them to keep an eye out for the next exhibition that's happening in our space because there's always something interesting, some sort of hook, whether it's the material, whether it's the story behind the work, the story behind the title, or something about the artist. There's always something that everybody can take away from everything that happens in this gallery. It's nice of you to say that. <laughs> well, I say it a lot, so I might as well say it. Well, it's a bit like, a bit like you know, um, well, we were talking about materials, messages, meaning. We put out an open call and I'll have a theme, whether it's light or dark or whatever, and and I'll have a, uh, you know, something to back that up, sort of intellectually back that up. But, and then people respond to that, respond to that theme, so... And this, the next one, uh, the next exhibition is called Obvious. Yeah, which apparently wasn't that obvious. <laughs> <laughs> and I know some people who did put in for the obvious, and... Yeah, some people don't, yeah. So, you have quite an eclectic range of artists for this? In this next one, yeah. It's, well, I think all of them are really in, in a sense, but this one's kind of interesting. How do you work through the selection process for that? Well, is it your own taste that comes to the fore, or is it I haven't heard or seen of that being done before? You know, what? Well, it's, a, it's a mixture of all of that, really. It's that, you know, that, that thing of experience again, like, you know, that, I mean, I've been lucky, you know, that. Uh, and, you know, I always thought I was lucky to get the job at the Arts Council because you know you'd meet lots of artists, and I was known as a networker any, anywhere, like you know. So I mean, it's a real privilege uh, to work for the Arts Council, and as you know, we're supported by the Arts Council of Northern Ireland, which is great. But it's meeting all those meeting all those artists, you know, that, that's the real interesting thing because everybody has a story, you know. Some of them are interesting, some of them aren't. Some artists get it wrong. Sometimes they, they respond to the, ex, the exhibition theme, and they just again, it's known, it's known your you known your market. You know, when I was a maker, when I was a glass maker, you knew where where the where the galleries that sold glass. You know, you, know, you found you did your homework. Some people don't don't do the homework in in the sense of you know, what kind of gallery are we? What do we do? You know, and then you approach you approach them. You know, the nice thing about Belfast when they have first Thursday in the uh, month, late night art, yeah, late night art is you know, it's fantastic. But not enough artists go round all those galleries like you know you. Yeah, I know you. I know you did, and I would do that. You know, it was all just to see work, to see the gallery, and see what kind of work they you know have a conversation with people. What kind of work are they interested in? You know. Isn't Belfast quite special in that way, where 
the, the likes of late night art, which I think we've mentioned this before, would be in Belfast, where a lot of the galleries and studio groups that have gallery space would open from six to nine on the first Thursday of every month and show work. It's not being shown with a view to sales. That's not the important thing about it. It's with a view to sharing what is new, what people are yeah. making. You know, it's a real testing ground. Do you know, are there many other cities that would have that? Well, they, they, I mean, they run open studios, don't they? Or, uh, in, in England, they're running open studios. But no, no, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, they may exist, I don't know, but uh, not that I know of. No. And the fact that it's unfunded, so it's sort of developed over 10 years. It was started by a few people 10 odd years ago and it was developed into this event that nobody organises and nobody funds. But it's become quite well known and it's entirely voluntary. Yeah, but like I say, but not enough artists visit galleries, you know, to look at work and look and, and, and talk to the gallery about what they show and why, why they show it, you know, and get out and about, <laughs> as they say. Absolutely, and not just in Belfast as well. And, yeah, not just in Belfast, yeah, you're right, you know, it's, uh, it's a big world out there, like, you know. I mean, I always feel Derry's got a different vibe to, to Belfast, like, you know, and, and a valley, you know, an interesting vibe, you know, but it's different, it's different to Belfast, you know. Why is that? I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I know it's different. I'm from Belfast and I would rarely be up that end of the country. Yeah. Just, you know, it's, it's not that far in the grand scheme of things, but it is at the same time in Northern Ireland you're never that far away from the sea compared to other countries so sometimes even the shortest distance for folk for us seems you know, it, it's far but it's not for anybody else <laughs> so the likes of Anna who was doing the course with us she's from Australia and you know everywhere you know Ireland's so small compared to the travelling that she has to do to go to see anything where she lives yeah, yeah, yeah. Una and I are both uh, between Belfast and Newry, so we're quite outside the city. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we can be quite isolated not being in the town centre, and that's one of the things that the podcast sort of is to address, isn't it? Yeah, and sort of build a community of people that are outside of the main city areas and stuff. But I think we find already that there's people in the cities that are just as isolated or can feel isolated if yeah. they haven't found their group of people yet. Well, yeah, I mean, the largest collection, I suppose, is Vault Studios now, is it? Or, you know, yeah. Well, Flax is pretty big now as well, isn't is it? it? Mm-hmm. But I think Vault has, I mean, they've got over 100 yeah. different artists. And Do artists meet, you know, to discuss work? together after art college that kind of fades but this is one of the things that we were talking about could we especially with pandemic situation maybe start to facilitate some sort of an online art zoom crit where a couple of artists maybe start off with people that know each other you know to make it even more comfortable where a couple of people will test out or show somewhere and then a small group in a a zoom group can have a chat about it not with anybody presiding over it as such, but just facilitating yeah, a space. Yeah. Uh, one, it, yeah, one, I'm just remembering like one of the other. There's a, uh, I think a Swedish group called We Work in Fragile Materials, and I always kind of admired the way they the, the way they worked. Um, they would like drag a kind of a, a, a ton of clay up a mountain or whatever and just go and make crazy things together and then bring them back down the mountain you know it's, and I always found them like you know quite fascinating as a group to do that together you know to take take a material and and just have a weekend of going and doing something and doing something yeah. with it like and I think that you know yeah yeah yeah, check them out. Uh, they might still be online, I think. I don't know if they're still together, but you know, I found them quite interesting like that. And I always 
I always wanted to start up. There was in in a place called High Wycombe. Uh, there was there's some caves up there, and uh, and there was a, uh, a a group called the Hellfire Club that used to meet in the caves and get drunk and uh, debauched activity and all that. And I, I, I think that's what artists should do sometimes. It's like you know, just meet with the material and and make stuff together. And I think you learn off each other because. It, Especially if you're from different backgrounds, you know, you're not all fine artists or, you know, whatever, you know, I think that's, that, I always wanted to start a Hellfire Club, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> except I'm always driving and never drinking. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to make an exception, I think, we get a horse or something. <laughs> I'm not advocating the drinking, the robust <laughs> activity, but, but just to do something like that, I think that, you know, that. I think that's a good idea, you know, and, uh, and I kind of wanted that here, but uh, we've never been able to, I don't know. When, whenever I get my lottery one, <laughs> I'd be buying news over it, <laughs> taking charge to make sure I have a studio. <laughs> but Pollen would do that, you know, we, um, we went into the greenhouses at the back of the Palm House in Botanic. We were able to go and sit in the greenhouses and have meetings yeah. and sit and draw that you know this is the home of the the Lennon Biennale we did pollen road trips because Jane Alice and Sinead were making work they practiced hands yeah. that happened in Conway Mill and although I wasn't involved in the actual artwork and project I designated myself the driver to go on our road trips to various nice spots yeah. that were all mentioned in the um, the Ben Ali brochure, and that was super. Nice idea, yeah. yeah. So we were hoping to do a pollen beach trip, a pollen forest trip, and and a few others, but the pandemic has sort of kiboshed yeah. that for the time being. Well, Gail Matten and uh, uh, Mac Nine and all that that we had here when we first started, they were the, they were doing that kind of stuff, like you know, and I think Gail's still doing it with uh, Rachel Gom at times as well that we've had here, yeah, and uh, who's the other artist? Heather, Heather. Yeah, Heather. Dorman Wilson. Yeah. You talked about branding and retail and how important that is to artists and about networking, which Sarah hates. No, I, I don't like networking. I just don't like the word. Oh, the word. Okay, sorry. Um, no, it's, a, it's not, a, not a good word. No. Have you got anything that you would say artists should definitely avoid doing when they're trying to brand themselves or retail themselves or anything that they must do? Like, would, you, would you have advice on that? I don't know, there's no hard, there's no hard and fast, fast rules, I don't think. You, you know, but somebody like Andy Coldsworthy or whatever, like, you know, I met Andy a few times. He's a very quiet person, he's not, you know, but he does what he does, you know, and so it's unique, and I think to, to find that unique, uniqueness, like, that's, that's the hard, but that's the hard bit. You've got to, you've got to sell yourself somehow to somebody, you know, and like I say, Andy Goldsworthy is a very quiet, very, very quiet man, at least he was when I met him, and you know he doesn't push himself. But his work, the work speaks for itself. Like you know, it's, it's a powerful work. But I know somebody, one artist that um, uh, I won't mention names, but uh, won the Turner Prize. He stroke she, you know, engineered, engineered, winning, winning the Turner Prize, like you know, through bribery and corruption or. <laughs> No, but they made, but they made, you know, and they wouldn't turn it, you know, they wouldn't turn it back, you know, because they, 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 they knew it was a business, and it's a business, you know, you need to market yourself somehow and sell yourself, sell your product. That links in with one of the essays that I've been reading in this book again, and it's to do with um, collecting, collectors, and I can hardly say this, connoisseurship. And the the person was um, speaking at a symposium, and it was to do with ceramics. But they were asking about this connoisseurship that our standards of excellence and quality focused on materials, 
techniques and process or are standards determined by purely formal qualities? Like I said, you know, some artists specialise in one material or whatever, and like, you get really, you know, your 10,000 hours, you know, you've heard that before, you know, to get any good at anything, you know, you've got to put in 10,000 hours. And it's the truth, like, you know, you have to practice and refine and refine it down again and again and again. You know, till you get, till you get, till you think you get it perfect or as perfect as it can be. Practice and play, then you don't know, you know how far you can push a thing or take a thing or how much you need to bring it back. You've got to put the time in the graft, the thought in the graft, you know, it's, it, and that's why it's a business, you know, because it's hard work and you get that reward when you, when you get good at something, that's when you get. I've done me 10,000 hours, you know, looking at stuff. You know, uh, talking to people, talk, you know, uh, about the about the work. Like I said, you know, when I work for the arts council, the privilege of meeting meeting the artists and and sitting down with them, having a, having a conversation about about their, their practice. Like you know, some of them will be big and bold, and some of them will be quite quiet. Lucy Brown from Brighton, she's quiet as a mouse but her work is, 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 really, is really is really powerful it's feminist work you know talk talk to talk to Lucy and she's quiet as a mouse you know but her work speaks for her so I'm looking to ignore those people you know and the first person we had here was Anna Demetriou you know and we've revisited her there was a guy who used to work at Milton Keynes gallery he, no, not at Milton Keynes, it wasn't at Milton Keynes, it was at Artsway. Artsway is a, it's a gallery in uh, Sway in Hampshire uh, that was uh, started in a barn and grew from that. And Mark Siegel, who, who was curator there for a while, he would consciously nurture a group of artists and, and show them on a, not every year, but show them on a fairly regular basis. And, Revisit, uh, you know, revisit their practice and and bring them on as art, uh, as artists. He's out still out there somewhere, and uh, he's got a group of artists that he's promoting as such, like you know. So that's another way of, of working with people like people like Mark. Yeah, uh, that's collective almost, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, some gallery, you know, suppose a lot of galleries do that, like you nurture a stable of a stable of artists or whatever. I, mean, I guess that's what I'm doing. Been doing here is is that stable was in my head. That, you know, I, I met them when I when met a lot of those artists when I worked at the, the arts. Certainly, the you know the English artists that I show you or whatever. You know. They, that was through the Arts Council, through the job in the Arts Council, meeting those people. And so I've kind of, you know, especially Anna, when I first met Anna, Anna Demetriou, she was, uh, um, she said, she told me that nobody else was interested in the Arts Council in her work, because uh, she was working with scientists and, uh, and more. And I was fascinated by that when I met her. And now she's, she, I've seen her, Career develop over the last twenty odd years, and she's a she's a big big artist now. She travels all over the world, and that's because she always thanks me for being interested in her, in her work and, and, and giving her an op opportunity. You know, and that's why she did the first exhibition here for, for nothing. You know, because she kind of owed me one. As it were, like you know. well, on, on the banking side of things. I would like to thank you for having allowed me to come and volunteer and do various bits and pieces. Well, more people can volunteer. <laughs> um, I mean, you were quiet as a mouse when I first, <laughs> first met you. Nobody well. believed that, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, but you had the, the, the nerve, some, I don't know, what was it? All our nosiness. Well, more artists should be nosy than, you know, it's that, 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 you know, like I said before, artists need to get, you know, I don't know, stop mixing with other artists in a sense and get out there on your own and, and mix with other, other people, you know, and ask questions, and you did, you know, you well, came across them. That, that's the thing, that, that the opportunity that I have had here to come and meet the different artists 
especially at the openings, the exhibition yeah. openings, I have absolutely put my nerves to the side and approached people that I wouldn't, maybe in other now, you've, venues. You've, well, you've come on over the years to, to get over that. And uh, not enough artists do that, you know, it's like just go in a gallery and start talking to people. You know, that people like talking about, I like talking about the work, you know. Because it's interesting, you know. I think, you know, if you're genuinely interested, people genuinely talk back to you. Of course they will, yeah. Some good advice. Robert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for having a blather with us. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, yeah. Well, I hope well, it makes sense when it, when it, when it comes out, yeah. yeah. It will do, and we'll, we'll be back. We'll be back to torture you for more stuff, I'm sure, in the future. So just before we finish talking to you, obvious. Um, when are we hoping that is going to... Looks like it's going to be the 14th of November, November. When, when we can open to the public with the current situation. But uh, was supposed to be the 7th, but I think it's going to be the 14th now. But in the meantime, there'll be some work on having some of the, the artwork. The artwork will be in the gallery, online. yeah. It's been delivered today. Very good. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I'm going to pick up on something that um, Robert was talking about, and it's the, the tacit knowledge, but I'm sort of Got to backtrack a wee bit. So you know the way I've been doing the, the workshops with the black box and PS2 project Tangible Selves? Yeah. All the work has now been delivered to Belfast. So that's going to be taken along with the rest of the work that's going to be collected from the various group members and photographed. So because the project was Tangible Selves and it was all to do with portraiture, hopefully there's going to be one piece of clay work and selfie sticks that the group made each and potentially a 3D drawing. Each piece from each person is going to be put together and there's going to be a portrait photograph taken of each person's work. So they'll have a portrait of themselves for the end of the project. And there was, there's going to be a video created with the sound piece that we made that's going to incorporate all the different images of everybody's work. So I'm not too sure when that is going to happen and with the various restrictions. I think they were hoping to have something in PS2. It might all be online now, but that is gone. And that links in with the tacit knowledge and learning through doing. So it's really good that you've got that all closed up, that project, and, and to be able to see something finished and for them to be able to see it too. Hopefully it is digital and we'll all get to see it. As well, you'll have to share a link. I think elements will be, but I that that's my contribution more or less over. And so that's one thing out of the studio. The other thing is we have been talking about the Amabi project that Johanna Leach has been running online, and the Amabi are Japanese demons. So one of the Holland studio members, Jane, has been working with clay and has been dropping things off with me at the studio which I'm then bringing home and firing and then sending back to her and she's under glazing and firing and backwards and forwards and all that was in the studio at the same time as the tangible selves things and I was finding it really hard to make anything because I was surrounded by so much stuff but everything is out of the studio at the minute so I can get to my own making by tacit knowledge and the learn through doing. That was one of the real benefits of the Tangible Selves project. Each of the participants had a box of materials. So they were gaining tactile knowledge of the materials as they were making. And as we're talking, I'm sure you can see me waving my arms about. <laughs> as always, yeah. That links in to what Robert was saying about you know the tacit knowledge. And if you notice I have been posting pictures of my hands on the old Instagram. Yes, these hands that you so you've taken moulds of your own hands. Right. Well 
my first go was a complete rookie error because I haven't used alginate in ages and I completely did it wrong and totally kicking myself. So the same as baking, you would add the liquid to the powder and not the powder to the liquid. So alginate is almost like an angel delight that sets harder. And I measured out my water, I measured out my alginate powder. It was fast set alginate. I put the powder into the water and immediately realized, oh no, I've done this wrong. <laughs> I couldn't get it to mix. I was trying to put it down. It was puffing everywhere. And well, eventually I got a sort of a mix and I stuck my hand into it anyway to see what would happen. So I've got almost a skeletal plaster cast hand. Oh, well, it was good to try it anyway. Well, it wasn't good to try it like that. <laughs> Well, at least you know now that's definitely the wrong way of doing it. <laughs> I knew that. I just wasn't thinking. I was so excited that this is what I was going to do. Because the whole way... You meaning through, to do that for a while, you said, didn't you? Not the hands. Alginate, I haven't used it for quite a while. The reason not the hands was because in the BA Fine Art, whenever people went to the casting workshop and people were learning how to use various materials to make moulds and casts, one of the first things people did was take a, or make a mould of their arm or their hand or their fist. And I couldn't see a reason for me doing that for myself. So I had avoided it. Uh-huh. But now, because of the whole COVID thing and the lack of touch, especially because you will know some of my spheres, the ceramic spheres, that have got objects inside them. Yeah. That you, you need to pick them up and feel them and feel the movement so touch is quite important for me engaging with the spectator so to speak in some ways for some of the work I make it's very frightening because the work is so fragile and pretty much if they're going to pick it up they're going to break it but some pieces are intended to be interacted with and at the minute that just can't be done so I thought all right I'm I'm I now have a reason for making moulds and casts of my hand. It's been so good seeing the, the pictures of your hands. I didn't realise the detail that was going to be on them and just the eeriness of seeing them like on your desk and you've taken a picture of them from across your desk. I, and it did give me some sort of sense of the, you know, how we're not having that touch contact anymore. And we probably, I don't know, if people will get back into touching people more. I don't know. Well, not for a while. kind of links into as well as finally getting to make some stuff um, I've been thoroughly enjoying the process last week as well with the run-up to Halloween all well quite a lot of my neighbours are all involved in a WhatsApp group which started up during lockdown and although we would be quite a friendly cul-de-sac the whole lockdown experience really developed a bigger sense of community Amongst everybody, so more people have joined in the group since schools have started and all the rest of it. There's quite a few young families in the cul-de-sac. And there was a discussion around Halloween and how we wanted the kids to still have a Halloween experience, but still keeping everybody safe and keeping all the adults safe. And the way we worked around that was to make individual trick-or-treat packs we knew how many children were going to be about and the packs were all left outside in various ways. I had mine hanging all around the garden and around the house. I hadn't quite taken into consideration the 70 mile an hour winds that were going to happen on Saturday. <laughs> so there was some amount of tangling. I had to rethink things a bit. Um, summer seat from the front of the house it ended up coming right the side so that I could have more space to hang things out and just using bulldog clips yeah so the kids could grab the packs and pull and the clips would let go of that bit of string it worked out really well and at around quarter past six you could just see dot of sparklers outside people's houses with people waving at each other and some of the kids go to school together, so they were running about. And that fact that we couldn't touch, we couldn't give, they couldn't put their hand in and pick their own sweets, it just made it very different. But the fact that the whole community have got together to try and get around 
the restrictions to create an event for the kids. I think it's the best Halloween event we've had on the street for years. It was great. There you go. Big success. Yeah. My brother sent me pictures of they up around Larn, I think they it was somewhere, I can't remember the name of it. But it was this park done and in each section of the park was a different sort of ghost or monster or a butcher or something. It looked class, but unfortunately I didn't find out about it until it was too late to go to it. But maybe something like that next year and they'll get more popular, you know, people getting together in their own communities and doing things. Speaking of ghosts, I pushed the boat out financially and I had used tissue paper and little plastic bags. So the tissue paper around the outside, but little plastic bags to keep everything together. Um, lots of different colours of tissue paper for the, the treats. And I kept a black sheet, no, two black sheets and an orange sheet past. And I cut a pumpkin shape out of the orange, taped it, taped one each onto the black sheets, drew pumpkin face and taped them to the lower halves of the living room window. So one of the parents thought that I had actually painted on the window. I'm like, no, it's tissue paper. And they loved my ghost, which again, pushing the boat out. I have a ball in the studio that I use to try and take moulds off. And I use various bits of string to hold the ball. And I got a 99p dust sheet and cut it up and threaded the top string of the head of the ghost through the dust sheets and then attached a 299 set of fairy lights, battery fairy lights to it and hung it at the front of the house. Oh, very good. That was homemade. Very good. Utterly homemade. It cost less than a fiver. And during the day, it kind of looked like what it was. Yeah, it looked very good. Well, that was at night. At night, it looked great, especially after it had been blown about by said 70 mile an hour winds. I, I done some home homemaking as well, but not Halloween-y. Are you ready to see? Another quality podcast stuff. I'm going to show you stuff on the video. Okay, so that is a stuffed, rather large, black and white cow. And With I'm guessing what? it's a lady cow because that looks like others. Yeah, all I need now are eyes and a tail, but we're nearly there. Is this for any particular reason? For absolutely no reason whatsoever. It was on, it's been on my to-do list for years to make a stuffed cow, and I just finally got some time at the weekend. I thought, do you know what, I'm going to just do that project. Because up till last week, I was getting myself so stressed out about so much stuff I had to do and getting really overwhelmed. and. I was really worried about it, even about uni and how was it going to do anything for, you know, finishing up next year or what was it going to produce? And I had a tutorial during the week and it just sort of put everything into perspective for me. And it's, I've been quite chilled out. Were, were you told to back the truck up and wise up a bit? <laughs> Maybe in slightly different words from that. <laughs> yeah, it's really good because if you're just working away yourself and doing things and making things and you know some ideas you just sort of chuck to the side and you're just sort of scrabbling all the time trying to come up with that one good idea that you can see fully finished for the end of the year you don't see what you're doing really you know it's not until you talk to somebody so I had my tutorial and I spoke about what I've been doing and I showed some pictures of what I've been experimenting with and something that I would have just dismissed completely is something that's actually you know, work that's well done and could be continued and developed. Developed, yeah. 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 I think that's the whole point of the areas that they have set up online for us within the virtual learning environment is so that we can share stuff and oh, yeah. it as an extension of the studio and to try and not feel isolated. So Macau, it really wasn't anything arty or, or anything, but just nice to spend some time doing something that I wanted to do and yeah just to give your head a break give my head a break yeah and I'm excited I've got some exciting ideas that I'm looking forward to working on during the week I've been experimenting with fiberglass and some more with plaster since you showed me how to use plaster and you'll be so impressed Sarah I've even been trying to make my own molds and stuff too so yeah good stuff 
yeah, you've got me off to a good flying start. You're not going to tell me what you're making molds of. You're just keeping them oh, on under wraps. <laughs> <laughs> That's another problem. I just assume since I've looked at stuff and done it that you know or that people know what I'm doing, but I, I just forget to actually tell the details and that came across in the tutorial as well. Yeah, just, we, we, we don't all have crystal balls with fresh batteries in them. <laughs> so I made... I made um, some faces so I used I made like a mold and put my face into it several times I couldn't breathe like it was probably not the way to go about it but what, eventually what, what with? layers of tinfoil and PVA and put it all over got it on my face and got it creased up and made like a an abstract sort of face out of plaster and then and I, I used the doll's face then as well because I find that was well much easier to breathe doing a doll's face than my face Usually you would put me holes to allow your model to breathe. Oh, yeah, you would if you had common sense. That's such a good idea. Remind me not to act as a model for you. Okay, I'm going to try that one this week. Dead bodies yeah. in the studio. Yeah. So my, my idea of these faces is to somehow maybe put them on to rocks or like I was looking at Patricia Puccini's work I don't know if you've seen it I'm just so you know taken with her work it's amazing absolutely fabulous and on one hand I'm like oh I'll never get anywhere near producing work like that and on the other hand I understand that she has a whole team of people and her and her husband both work in that sort of area and do you want to describe what you're talking about yeah so using um prosthetics and that they make these creatures of what humans could become or the choices that humans are making by um, messing about with DNA and, you know, getting people to think about that. She's definitely worth looking up. So I was thinking I'll make some faces and maybe see if I can attach them onto things or that as well. And then I was, um, I don't know if you've seen it on Instagram, I had been painting mushrooms and taking pictures of them as well. So now I'm thinking I'll maybe use the mask somehow out and about and blend them in mm-hmm. places and so that's sort of what I was talking about in my tutorial as well and any concerns I had about um you know because like using tinfoil and PVA and resin and all this isn't very good for the environment or I feel the guilt of it mm-hmm. Dan was saying that really I'm not that important <laughs> 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 but what he was saying is I'm only going to be making a very small amount in the grand scale of things. It's not that important, you know, and there's going to be a lot worse things happening. The world isn't going to notice that much. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And it's only a a small bit. And if it brings a small amount of joy or a reaction or creates a discussion, then it was totally worthwhile having that piece being created. So I think it's been very freeing thinking about that in a different way light as well yeah well i think if you maybe think about the percentage of the population in the world that are artists making work as individuals and weigh that against all the big corporate companies that are mass producing all manner of things using all manner of materials and technology uh, we really are we we're not going to tip the balance that far and what you said just really really links into a thing that I I was reading earlier on today and I just happened to have the note here in front of me and it's to do with a with your consciousness of your standing within the world and sometimes a feeling of impetus no impotence or this inability to become or to be is really dispelled by having that spontaneous creative spark And because you've got that creative energy being released, it allows you to have that creativity to give yourself a sense of identity and self-assurance because you've thought of a thing, you've made a thing, and it can connect with somebody else and somebody can recognise it and, and get something from it. Yeah, it's a way of communicating, isn't it? It's just really lovely. It's really important to have those things happen, especially whenever you're doing the making, not for prestige or to make wonderful sales or whatever, just to have that connection, especially when there's so much of a disconnect happening at the minute. Yeah, 
there really is and it is there what you're saying about making things i think that's what I, about this kite as well making things that aren't for sale you know it's just so nice to do stuff in the studio art wise but like experimenting and or doing things out and about in the hedge on the mushrooms that i'm not expecting to have there's no pressure on it to have to be anything so there is an argument that art making should be business-like but there's also the argument that art making should be connected yeah it's finding a balance though isn't it i am looking forward this week to doing lots of different things i have plans that i want to explore in the studio i'm also hopefully going to be seeing the videos and images that the artists are sending in for the next art space exhibition obvious to try and put together something digitally that can be shown while the, studio, the gallery can't be open. Uh, so I have a quite a variety of jobs to be done next week. So what are your plans? Have you got your schedule laid out, your map of the lay of the land for the coming week? Well, the, the first thing on my list is not to panic <laughs> and not get overwhelmed. And this week, I'm really looking forward to practicing some things in the studio, not worried about the outcome or anything. I'm just going to experiment with a few new materials that I haven't tried before. And I'm going to try a few things, a few more things outside, not not painting mushrooms, because obviously that was very seasonal. And <laughs> unless anybody knows of any, give me a shout. Oh, that's good. It's always good to have a plan of action, but to leave room for those happy accidents. Yeah, I think that's where I was getting overwhelmed before, because there was weeks there where I had, I had so much to do. I didn't really have time to you know just play or anything and at the same time was trying to work without scheduling myself in and be free but <laughs> doesn't work time is an illusion just have to set time to the side and just do stuff or stuff cows and don't let time become your master so until next time then yeah until next time okay bye on rubbish where did you where was the good link that you give me there <laughs> don't look like you want to kill me so much there <laughs> you want me to remember something that i said two minutes ago it's a good job it's recorded um.